Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome in to the big show. We are live, ready to go, worldsoccertalk.com, prepping for the weekend. Quite the busy day on tap for me. I don't know about you. I'm sure your Friday, maybe it's going to be low-key. Maybe it's going to be getting ready for your weekend filled with plenty of soccer. There's lots of soccer coming up. There's games tonight. There's games tomorrow. There's games Sunday. Talk about some of those things. My day, though, this is my day. Start the show now, today. I got, I got it to my office, by the way, at about 7.40. Put my kid on a bus at, at 7 o'clock. So I got to get up at 6, get him ready. Put him on the bus at 7, shower, get my stuff together, leave the house, get over here by 7.40-ish. Then do this show from 9 to 10, a little bit after 10. We'll be around until a little bit after 10 today. Then we're going to do the Sirius Satellite, Sirius XM Satellite Show from 11 to 1. Then I'm going to jump in my car, drive to New York City, which, you know, that just sounds fun, right? Just... Driving to New York City sounds like a blast. Then we're going to be uh, holding a meet and greet situation. I don't know what you want to call it. What are we calling it, Trevor? I don't want to call it a lunch party because as far as I know, there's not going to be any party favors. We're not going to be handing out any noisemakers or hats. I don't have T-shirts to to deliver. I don't know about party. Let's just call it a hangout or a gala event, as Trevor wants. Okay, it's a gala soccer event at the Football Factory tonight in New York City. Join us to watch some soccer, have some beers. Uh, what else? I don't know what else. We what else can we do? I mean, we'll, we'll we'll talk. Maybe I'll tell some stories. Maybe I'll give you some behind the scenes information if you meet me live in New York tonight. Maybe I'll tell some stories I've never told before. Trevor will probably give me the evil eye while I'm doing so, but. Sometimes these things need to be disseminated. Got to get them off your chest. So, yes, tonight, around 7-ish at the Football Factory in New York City. I think it's, I don't know, Empire State Building. That's all you need to know. Right there, Midtown. I'll be there. Trevor Hayward will be there. West 33rd Street. There you go. Perhaps some other football luminaries, soccer luminaries, whatever you want to call it. It's a football factory. We can call it football. Perhaps some other people will be there. Looking very much looking forward to it. Hope to see you out if you are in the New York area. If you're not in the New York area, now is the time to book your plane ticket. Get on the plane. Get to New York. That, that's the only advice I can give you. On this show today, we're going to talk to Travis Clark from Top Drawer Soccer. We're going to break down that USU20 roster that Tab Ramos called up for the World Cup later this month in New Zealand. We'll get the the names you need to know the players you should be watching, the most crucial players to the success of this team, all of those things. Travis knows this stuff inside and out. Should be a great discussion. Then we'll take your calls, as always. As always, we'll take your calls. We can talk about that. We can talk about the uh, MLS weekend coming up. Again, two games tonight. Orlando hosting New England. Red Hot Revolution. And I think San Jose, Colorado is the other one. I feel like that's the one I'm going to be chatting with people during, mostly. I mean, no offense, guys. Rapids, earthquakes, one nothing. Anybody else? one nothing on that game, right? It's a one nothing game. 
Then, uh, then, um, uh, obviously you have the New York Hudson River situation, whatever we're calling that. New York, New York. Red Bulls, NYCFC at Yankee Stadium on Sunday. And if you are a Sirius XM subscriber, by the way, definitely check out the show today. John Strong's going to join us to preview that match. He's calling that game from New York. We got Pablo Maurer from Open Wide for some soccer. Looking forward to that. And Andres Cantor. How can you go wrong with Andres Cantor? So that's the Sirius XM show. So get that on your uh, schedule as well. Let's do some news ahead of Travis Clark. If you have not been paying attention to this Spanish TV revenue kerfuffle, spat, slap fight, upset, what's another word? Brouhaha? Fisticuffs? Oh, no, actually fighting. It's gotten ugly. I, we talked yesterday, or I may have mentioned yesterday, one of the shows, I think it was uh, certainly the web show, that there is the threat of the games not happening. Now, I'm so confused by this that I don't even know if I can distill it down for you. But here's a story from the AP. Spain's Soccer Federation says it is suspending League Cup matches from May 16th in protest of a proposed law on the sale of television rights and revenue. Now, that's that's the news as we had it initially. The further blow-up of this situation is that other parties, I think at the Spanish FA, are upset about the way the money would be divided and have said, hold on, wait a second, this isn't something you can do. Now, here we go. The Spanish Soccer Federation, which runs the sport in the country but does not control the top two divisions, so La Liga certainly, said Wednesday it is backing an indefinite strike that the players' union plans to call on May 16th. If it goes ahead, the strike would affect the final two rounds of the league and Copa del Rey final. The Federation of the Players' Union are taking the measure against the Spanish League to pro protest a proposed law on the sale of television rights and how the income is divided. The new deal would supposedly give first division players 90% of the income, while the union wants more to go to second division players. Hours after the strike was threatened, the Spanish League retaliated by saying it is taking legal measures against the Federation. The League said in a statement that the decision adopted by the Spanish Football Federation is legally void and that it had quote, taking the corresponding legal actions in defense of the legitimate interests of its clubs. So you've got the Federation, the league itself, uh, the government's involved here. There's there's like all kinds of parties, and they're all, they all want a piece of the pie. It's not that they don't want the television revenue divided more equally. It's that they are upset about the piece that they're going to get. So everybody's scrambling to protect the turf. Very interesting situation. I don't know if we're actually going to see games canceled. But keep an eye on Spain. News out of New York says that the New York Red Bulls are going after Kevin Prince Boateng, Ghanaian attacking player. You know Kevin Prince Boateng. Even if you don't watch any European soccer, you know Kevin Prince Boateng. This would be an interesting decision by the Red Bulls. Uh, again, won't believe it until I see him holding up, holding up a shirt and a scarf. But for the time being, it's, it's an interesting rumor. MLS has voided the contract of Eddie Johnson. The striker has a heart condition, and the league is now voiding his contract. This will free up D.C. United to use that uh, portion of the salary cap on other players. The question here is whether or not the Seattle Sounders, when they made the deal to send Eddie Johnson to D.C. United, knew about the heart condition. Ultimately, because there's some question over that, that's why the league is voiding the contract and giving D.C. United the freedom to uh, to use 
that portion of their salary cap on other players. As I mentioned, a bunch of games this weekend, games to watch. Championship playoffs, maintain that this is some of the best drama in soccer. Brentford and Middlesbrough today at 2.40 p.m. Eastern on BN Sport. Ipswich Norwich, BN Sport, 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. So get up early if you want to watch that. Orlando hosts New England tonight on Univision Deportes. Mentioned that game. We'll be watching that game at the Football Factory. Toronto and Houston, the first home game for Toronto. Expanded BMO Field. Should be interesting. 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern on Sunday. ESPN 2 for that game. The Hudson River Kerfuffle. I'm going to use that word again. New York City FC and the Red Bull, 7 p.m. Eastern on FS1 on Sunday. You got Chelsea Liverpool on Sunday as well at 11 a.m. Eastern on NBC. SN. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, Travis Clark, top drawer soccer. You're wondering about the U20s? What are their actual chances? The man will tell you. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Back on Soccer Morning and joined now via Skype by our friend Travis Clark from Top Drawer Soccer. Well, he's my friend. I'm sure he would be friendly with the rest of you if he knew you. Travis, how are you? I'm good. I like the new intro music. Uh, yeah, you different know, every morning? No, no, no. This stuff is... We've had this stuff for a little while. That just tells me you don't listen regularly, which I can understand because the world of... Tracking all of these players has got to be like you got to be crushed just time wise. Like, how do you possibly and you have a family? I don't understand, Travis. I I don't either. And then <laughs> I'm trying to track women's soccer as well. Oh, so. no. I don't know. I mean, good. I, I feel like I'm drowning that. sometimes. And my job is just to keep my head above water and stay alive. I think that's everybody, though. I think that's just existence. I think that's just humanity. That's true, but I shouldn't complain because I work full time in soccer. That so is exactly right. That. Exactly. I don't. I can. I know. I can never complain about my job, Travis. People will just hate. They will hate. Travis, your job is to cover soccer. One of the elements, one of the areas you cover is the up and coming American youth uh, talent that we have in our system. Uh, the uh, greatest expression of this youth talent has to be the U twenty team. Tabaremos has called up twenty guys for the World Cup in New Zealand starting at the end of this month. Now, let's go to why it's 20 and not 21, which I think is the full roster, correct? Yeah, that's correct. So it's 20 people, it's 20 guys because Tab has specifically left open a spot for Gideon's LLM should his FIFA clearance come through. Um, on, for, in your opinion, a wise decision by, by Ramos? Uh, yes, very much so. It's a, a good, I think this is a better step for Gideon to take as opposed to going into the full team, which you're in kind of hinted at for like a gold cup. I think that would be, you know, maybe a shades of Julian Green, a too far, too fast kind of a step for the, for a player like Gideon who, you know, he's pretty far from the Arsenal first team, right. but too, too not fast because he's, furious. he's not good enough, but you know, that's just a whole nother level. You sure. Know? Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm totally with you. I, I, I kind of reacted badly to the notion that Zellalem was ready to step into the senior team as, Klinsman was sort of intimating, so this would be the right place for him. Now, we we have to hope that his 
clearance comes through in order him for him to play. But I gotta ask the the guy that's that's been identified as the replacement should Zellalem not be available is Zach Pfeffer of the Philadelphia Union, and he's a he's a decent player. I like Zach Pfeffer. He's gotten some time with the first team. But how do you feel if you're Zach Pfeffer today, or you know when that roster comes out and you hear, oh, I'm only getting in if the high profile Arsenal kid doesn't play? Yeah, I mean obviously it's probably a bit of a, a blow, but you know you look at the guys that didn't make the roster. You have Christian Roldan. You have um, Junior Flores, um, Pfeffer, if he doesn't make it, you know, central midfield, Romain Gall is this really, is probably where this group is the strongest, especially your offensive slash attack minded central midfielders. So, um, you know, Joel Sonora, Emerson Heinemann, Marky Delgado, um, there's a lot of options for Tab to choose from there. So it's not a surprise to see it kind of break that way. Um, it's interesting that it's become public knowledge. Well, Pfeffer's going if, uh, Gideon doesn't so that yeah. that's sort of an interesting wrinkle to all of that but uh, it makes sense in some levels you know you want the guys to know who is going and you know they're taking off for Australia according to this press release on May 16th so uh, you know it's a quick turnaround so you identified a couple of names that um that haven't made this squad and, and aren't in line to take that last spot should uh, Zellalem not be available who is the biggest snub for you is it Roldan I mean Junior Forrest is a name people know but apparently his form hasn't been very good well, if people if people on the show know that, obviously, I'm I'm a big fan of Roldan, and I think he could obviously offer something to this group, uh, you know. But there's a lot of players very very similar, so you just got to look at the. I don't think there's any big 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 like whoa, this guy didn't make it. Um, honestly, the biggest disappointment for me is Andrea Novakovic, Novakovic, um, but that was a club thing uh, instead of a coaching decision. So he's somebody that I think. Uh, you know, who would be, would be able to kind of introduce himself to American soccer fans. And he's a really good player. I've seen, I saw him play a couple years back for the Chicago Magic at the Development Academy playoffs. And he, you know, he was a kid on another level, you know, big, silky, smooth striker who was supposed to go to Marquette, ended up, uh, you know, he's got a European passport, ended up pursuing options in England instead. So, um, for me, that's the biggest disappointment. And that, I guess you couldn't really say it's a snub either. Yeah. So you look at this team and, you know, I, I see just, just on my cursory understanding of, of these guys, and some of them I've obviously seen him play, play in MLS. I, I see a lot of tweeners. I mean, a lot of guys that maybe have floating positional situations right now. I mean, Tommy Thompson, Jordan Allen, Kellen Acosta to a lesser extent, maybe, uh, whether or not he plays, uh, at fullback or at, at, a, at a holding midfield position. Uh, even a guy like Paul Ariola, who I think of as a, as a forward, is listed as a midfielder. Who, how does, how does Ramos sort of juggle all of those elements and find the right places for these guys to be, to put together the most effective team? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. And I think what we can expect to see from this team is a 442 diamond. So, and it's probably going to be more, more the narrow diamond where you're, you know, you have a lot of guys pinching in and then the outside backs, probably Shaq Moore, uh, DeSevio Payne and John Roqueho, maybe Acosta. Um, are providing the width. So uh, that would be my guess. And so, you know, you can kind of rotate guys. You know, you put Areola out wide or up top. Uh, you know, Jordan Allen can kind of do the same thing. He's a, he can be a wide player. He can be a forward. You know, a lot of tweeners, but a lot of guys that I think could thrive and do okay in different spots, uh, especially when you're looking at the midfield and the forwards. You know, you can juggle, you can chop and change. You know, Maki Tall is probably your only str- guy who you look at and be like, 
you know, you're my out and out striker. You're my number nine who probably can't play on the wing. So, um, you know, whether that's, you know, you're looking at a four, four, two where you kind of have guys that playing wide more out wide or kind of pinched in that narrow diamond. I think you can get a lot of guys and chop and change and mess stuff around. So I think that's good, but it's also a challenge, you know, where's your best, you know, what's your best 11, you know, where guys going to be in the best spots to thrive and to do well and to do damage. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a good problem to have, but it's also one that um, will challenge the coaching staff in New Zealand. Yeah, I mean, you, you point to Maki Tall as maybe the only out-and-out striker, he, but he's not a big kid, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of big – there's not a lot of big kids in this team, at least not in the, the midfield and the front line. I mean, obviously you have some, some pretty tall uh, center backs, but that's not something that we traditionally see with the U.S. I mean, you usually have a guy who's a center forward who's going to bring the ball down, lend some hold-up play – with the four four two diamond and and a pair of strikers and again picking from this group Rio Rabine, Jordan Allen, Bradford Jamison, Tommy Thompson, that's not going to be the dynamic. No, and that's I think that's why it's important you're playing four four two as opposed to a four two three one or a four five one because if without that kind of classic hold up striker, it becomes a little bit more. You know, you can't stick up Tommy Thompson or Bradford Jamison as a lone striker, which. You know, Tab kind of did, I think, at the the qualifying sort of towards the earlier stages. They were in a 4-3-3 when he, I think Jameson was up front by himself. Uh, you know, they switched in Ben Spencer, who didn't make the roster. So it's a challenge. Uh, you know, they're, they're a team that's going to try to keep the ball, and that's what Tab said in his uh, press con. You know, he asked about Roldan's absence in the press conference call. You know, he, he talked about, oh, we have a lot of guys who can keep the ball. So obviously that's what this team will try to do. And you know, whether that works or not, that'll kind of dictate the team's success. Well, that's certainly what we want to see out of the U.S. programs. Now, with with identifying the four four two diamond, is this – and we've seen the, the senior team move to that. And certainly Klinsman made some some feints in that direction, ultimately used that formation a couple of times um, in, in the recent past in, in the World Cup. Is that going to be the – is that going to be the, the idea across the whole program? I mean, from what you've seen, obviously no one's speaking to this directly. Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to say for sure just because it changes so much. Uh, you know, the the 17s were in a 4-3-3. I think that's probably the system they'd stay in. But, you know, maybe there's a a team-wide adjustment to a 4-4-2. I, you know, it's, it's the whole obsession with formations. And, you know, that's not really the biggest thing when you're looking at um, national teams, I, I would say. It's... I think a lot more is made out of it than it should be, is my point. But there's certain value if, you know, the 20s, the 23s, and the full team were all playing a similar style and formation. That would be good. But yeah. whether that's going to, you know, good dip down to the U14 boys national team, I don't know if that's as well, important you as. Know, we're talking about, you know, the, the, there's a difference, in, and sometimes people forget this, and sometimes I forget this, Travis. There's a difference between what you do going forward and what you do when you're stepping back and playing uh, and defending. So, right, right. W- w- you know, he, he could he could attempt to to drop his forwards back and and put some more uh, players in the midfield and and muck that up and then going forward, you know, push up, push some guys up and play more of a 4-3-3. Well, there's a lot of variations. I'm not saying I know exactly what Todd Robinson is going to do with this team, but I think what's the key is as you said, as you identified, the hope is to keep the ball. Now, I remember the last uh, U20 World Cup, it was that Turkey, was that correct? 
I believe was that was in, in, I, I believe yes, that was, was in, in Turkey. Turkey. I, and and the United States was in an, an incredibly difficult group. It was a murder. I think France was in the group. I can't remember who else, but it was a. It uh, was Spain was also in the group. Right. Too. It was just hell. So now the United States is going to New Zealand, and they're playing Ukraine, Myanmar, and New Zealand. They should hold the ball. I mean, they should be the better team in terms of possession throughout the group stage, at least. Correct. Well, right. I, you know, I haven't had a chance to scout New Zealand, Ukraine, or Myanmar, but you, you could assume that. But you just kind of never know what's going to happen, how the games break. Um, it'll be really interesting just to see what, especially Ukraine and Myanmar. You know, New Zealand, you can kind of get a little bit of a feel for, feel for being more of a, you know, an athletic team, you know, big, you know, kind of based off of what you see from them at the senior level. And obviously they were at the, the 2010 World Cup, so you know maybe they'll be completely different and much a little technical. Um, Kiwis running around the field, you never know. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, you know, given the a top two finish would be an easy target, I think for Ramos to set. I, th- I if I'm not mistaken, um, third place teams have a chance to make it because it's a 24 team tournament. Unless it's changed, I could be wrong. The 24 team tournament, 16 teams make it to the second round, so. And there's a little bit of a safety net should things sputter at the start. Uh, you know, playing the playing the host nation will be a big challenge, but opening against Myanmar will be, you know, quite the uh, experience for some of these guys, and will be a chance to ease their way into the tournament without ta- disrespecting that country. It certainly seems that way. It, it sets up very nicely. That I think that that ultimately puts a little bit more pressure on Ramos, though. Uh, considering that there is a, a, there there is an, an appreciation that this team has some talent, whether or not it's the most talented U twenty team ever is a matter for debate and eras and everything else. But there's certainly plenty of professional players on this team who should have an understanding of how to go out and put together a win. But the issue for me, whenever we put together these these youth teams, Travis, is not about the amount of talent across the field. It's about them playing together. And and so give me an assessment of how Ramos has done getting his team to play together ahead of the show the showcase that will determine how we judge him yeah I, I mean i wasn't you know you watched the u20s in qualifying and it wasn't the most impressive in terms of you know it almost seemed like the guys that had been in more camps with ramos did worse and which is was kind of concerning and i think that there's going to be enough time you know in the two-week kind of build-up they have together they'll have i guess 19 days so almost three weeks before the opening game uh, on May 30th, I guess that's technically kind of May 29th. It, who knows? May it's kind of fuzzy. <laughs> the international it kicks off. The, the game kicks off at, tw- at midnight Eastern time on May 30th. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think it's not an impressive series of performance they put together at the U20 World Cup, and there's a chance, you know, they'll, they'll march to the group, and it'll kind of be the same old story we've seen before, where the you know you face a, a tough opponent with better players and better well coached and you kind of get played off the park. So yeah, I'm not trying to be too cynical and too pessimistic, but <laughs> you, know, that, you know, that's kind of my MO. That would be a for first. That follow me on Twitter or whatever. <laughs> that would be a first. <laughs> um, but you know, I guess there's a lot of harping about these kids being professionals and that's a good thing. And um, you know, they definitely should have a better idea of what it takes. You know, I, you know, I like seeing guys like Rubio Rubin on the roster, Emerson Hinman, um, since I saw him at the U17 level, you know, he's going to be a fantastic player. I really like what Kellen Acosta can do. You know, there's a little bit of worry about creativity and, um, but I think that's, you know, it's safe to say, even if the U.S. is disappointing in terms of results, if you see 
some positive play from them. I don't know how you would define that, you right. know, whether that's attacking soccer and your you beautiful buildups, beautiful goals, or a bunch of goals from set pieces. Um, you know, I think that's what you want to look at. Uh, you you want to hope that these guys use this experience against a higher caliber caliber of opposition at high stakes and, uh, you know, can put in not just solid results, but solid performances as well. Now, all the um, all of the United States games, just for those wondering, will be on FS1. But as uh, Travis was sort of talking about there, the timing is is interesting because uh, I think they have a midnight start, midnight Eastern start, and a couple of three AM starts. So, uh, so you're going to have to be really committed to watch these games. You can always DVR them, of course. Travis, I don't know if you're going to be staying up all night to watch these games. I know you'll be keeping an eye on them and you'll probably review them. Who do you? Th- who are you most interested in seeing? I'm asking you a question about players a couple of different ways, but let me start with who intrigues you the most out of this group that you hope is on the field and that you can get an assessment on in this environment? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the guys, you know, I've seen play before, obviously, from, you know, guys like Jeff Caldwell with the under-17, Zach Steffen at the University of Maryland. So I I, look, I tend to be more interested in guys I haven't seen as much, DeSevio Payne. You know, I'm not watching a lot of Eredivisie youth soccer. Um, John Riquejo, who bypassed a scholarship at, UCLA to play for Club Tijuana, but he's been featuring mostly, in, uh, I believe, for the under their under twenty side. Paul Ariola's progression will be an interesting thing to watch. Um, you know whether or not he is, you know, he he kind of burst onto the scene a couple years ago, you know, and then kind of has been in a little bit of the lurch of chop and change of Mexican soccer can kind of produce. Joel Sonora, you know, Boca Juniors player on the roster, that's somebody you you just kind of be like, well. What, what do you have? What, what can you do, Joel? Even though yeah, he, well, he was with the under 17s, Maki Tall, not watching a lot of Red Star Belgrade, uh, youth games either. So guys that I am a little more unfamiliar with are the ones that I'd like to see. But, uh, I think Jordan Allen is a player who should be pretty exciting to see. You know, he, great youth player, had a one season at the University of Virginia before signing a homegrown deal, but then, you know, had a bright, bright start to the 23rd. 14 season before an injury kind of knocked him off track, knocked him out of the season, I believe, in about May. So, uh, I'm I mean, honestly, there's a lot of players to be excited about. Um, Heinemann, of course, as I mentioned previously. Um, I'm about to go through the whole roster, but, you know, those are just, <laughs> you know, maybe half the guys that I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, I, I think this is interesting because this is a U20 team that we. We know a little bit. I mean, if you are a soccer junkie, if you're an American soccer fan, if you're looking for the next guy to step into. Uh, you know, a, a top level professional role and then hopefully into the senior team. These are, there are a lot of guys here you've heard of. And I don't know that that's, I don't know if that it makes, makes it more interesting to watch them and there's more pressure on them to perform. Again, the group being fairly weak is, is an element of that. Or if this is, we should just be happy that there are this many, top, you know, senior level prospects in the U.S. system and sort of take whatever happens at the World Cup as, as an addendum to that, not necessarily as the central theme. Right. And I think that, um, the really notable thing about this, which I, you know, I'd have to look this up. You know, you look at guys like Rubio Rubin and Emerson Heinemann, they've already played and been in camp for the full team. And I don't think that's happened very frequently. And I know the, the timing of the U20 World Cup sort of favors that in the sense that. You know, the World Cup is in 2018, so there's lots of time for a Klinsman to experiment and to call on these kind of guys. So, um, you know, that has favored them a little bit 
you know, and then you got to couple that with the fact that they are already in professional environments and they're not playing college soccer because Jordan Morris aside, you're not going to see a lot of guys ever really either make the full national team or even under 20 rosters now. You know, obviously you look at this team and just one player is in college and he's the, what you have to consider the third string goalkeeper, um, in this group. So that element of it is making it more and more unique and, you know, that's not to say there aren't good players in college. It's just that this is the sort of the, the trending storyline within U.S. soccer where your best and brightest are pursuing pro opportunities because, you know, that they now have it or they really, really want it. So uh, I, I think that element in itself makes this a more unique team to keep an eye on. Just a small correction. Maki Tall, and I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to hate on you for not knowing this. Apparently, Maki Tall is at Red Star in France, oh. not Serbia, which would make any, apparently this is a third tier team at the moment. So it's not even, it, it makes it even tougher to right. find out what he's doing there, um, in France. So, um, forgive my ignorance. No, nah, hey, you know, I saw Red Star and made the assumption. Right. Actually, I, <laughs> I would too. I think that, well, Red Star, Belgrade's one everybody knows. Um, we, okay. So we've got, you know, we've got a team full of professional players. Some of them have broken through, uh, the, in, in many cases, that tends to be the, the MLS kids. Maybe the, uh, the bar is just not quite as high. Obviously, if you're playing, if you're in a premier league system, making the first team, like for a Cameron Carter's Vickers is, is, is a little bit more difficult than it is for Jordan Allen at RSL. But when you look at, when you look at those players in MLS, the ones that have, have either appeared on the top level or near near that. Do you see players that that have European futures, or you expect them to stick around in MLS? How how does that how is that ultimately going to play out? Again, under a coach who advocates for European experience, but continues to pick players out of out of MLS uh, systems. Well, well, you can look at Eric Palmer Brown. First of all, you know he he of the never ending Juventus saga, right? Um, you know, maybe he's someone that could move over sooner rather than later. Matt, Matt Miazga has a Polish passport, if I'm not incorrect, because I keep seeing him rumored to join the Polish national youth national team or something. At, you know, every, every few months, I feel like that pops up. Um, guys, you know, there's plenty of talent. You know, Tommy Thompson, Jordan Allen, you, they're very promising MLS players. Kellen Acosta, those are guys who I, I tip if, if they continue to progress and do well. And, the right situation comes along and MLS agrees to let them go abroad. Those are all guys who I would, I mean, I wouldn't rule any of them out, honestly. Um, you know, Marky Delgado has obviously struggled with injuries and, you know, the Chivas USA situation yeah. for a bit. So, you know, that's kind of hampered him a, a little bit. But, you know, all of them have good chances should they progress of moving at some point, uh, should they want to. You know, it's, you just that kind of never know what a player wants and some are, content and happy to to be in MLS and kind of cut cut their teeth here. It will be interesting to see what happens. I'd love to see a guy like Tommy Thompson go abroad. I think that would be a little bit more beneficial for him, but you know, he's in a situation now where he's just not getting a lot of playing time aside from, you know, 10, 15, 20 minute cameos. So I think that, uh, you know, it's a challenge for him. He's got to force his way into the team. So it's good in one hand, but I feel like his skills could be, uh, a little bit more better used elsewhere. Yeah, Washington on Twitter wants to know if you think there's anybody in this squad that's not getting enough senior attention from Klinsman and company. I, I don't know if you're going to jump ahead to that. Do you, do you have anybody here that you think maybe not a, a candidate right now, but you know you do have a you have a Gold Cup coming up. You've got a Copa America next year. You're going to have World Cup qualifying starting very shortly. 
where are the guys that that you ultimately could see could help the the senior team? Well, uh, the two guys that have been in the senior team, Hinman and Rubin, are the easy ones to right. kind of point out, and I think they're probably. It kind of follows the right track, and you know they're the guys that should be. There's no no one here, at least for my knowledge, that I think is really kind of knocking on the door. Cameron Carter Vickers Vickers looks like a man, even though he's 17 years old. But there's no reason to rush him in um, into the full team. I think you know maybe a couple years. I mean, the U.S. struggles with center backs, so maybe we see him sooner rather than later. But um, you know, Kellen Acosta, if he can stay healthy, he's another guy that is really really talented versatile maybe maybe a left back maybe a you know you put him on the left side with DeAndre Edlett on the right um even though you know it's a little bit out of position for him he's somebody that could do a job just about anywhere you put him whether it's center mid or outside back so um but there's no one who's who's really like oh you know this guy needs to be in the full team right now how about I, how about I, I change up the uh the question a little bit and ask you about the Olympics Olympic qualifying coming up in October Obviously, uh, Andy Herzog's trying to put together a team that can get to uh, get to Rio and then actually make some noise once they're there. There are a lot of guys between 20 and 23 who are available. Some of them have senior level experience. Is are any of these guys closer to that jump? I think that Zach Steffen could be someone who at least competes and gets a look at camps. So, you know, I, have, I don't know if there's a lot of crossover between any of these players in the Olympic team. But, you know, obviously Stefan would have faced an uphill battle being a couple years younger, but he's just, he's a very, very good goalkeeper who's hopefully, you know, obviously tracking him at Freiburg is harder than when he's playing in the University of Maryland, but it's an environment that will really push him and push him to the limit where he could potentially make a run at that starting goalkeeper jersey later this year. You know, say he has a really good World Cup, uh, you know, Alex Bonos, playing in the USL or whoever else receives consideration for that spot. Um, you know, John Kempen, I think, was in camp as well. You know, Stefan is, you know, there's been a lot of good goalkeepers, but he could be up in that upper echelon, you know, down the road should his career kind of match his abilities. I think maybe Jordan Allen's, Allen's versatility could come in handy, uh, you know, either plugging him as an outside back, an outside midfielder, or even up front, so depending how you're playing. So, um, those are kind of names. Rubio Rubin, too, obviously, a guy that who's been uh, in the system for quite some time. Really good kid, really good player. Who I think you know he's someone else that could possibly get a look. Yeah, yeah obviously he's had a, a senior call up uh, and made his appearance there. Last question. I'll come. I'm going to wrap this up by going all the way back to the beginning, very very quickly for you. And we've sort of identified how we expect this team to play. How does how does Gideon's LLM's inclusion, if it comes through, change things? Because you did mention that there might be a lack of creativity here, and he's certainly a guy you would expect to provide that. Yeah, I, I tried to. I was thinking, talking about that with my colleagues yesterday. It's hard to kind of know because, you know, if you're looking at a diamond, you always talk about the classic number ten role, and LLM is the guy that can make the pass, but he's also, you know, I just don't think of him as a traditional number ten in the like bursting into the box and well, but I guess if you have two forwards and you're playing that diamond, you don't need that necessarily. Right. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know how it would change anything. I, I think that, um, you know, this Pfeffer and Zellalem play similar roads, like not necessarily a classic 10, but you know, more offensive minded central midfielder types. So obviously Zellalem is a lot better in my opinion, but, um, 
I don't know if it's necessarily throw things off. I think that um, it would give Tab just a bit more talent and depth in central midfield. And kind of as we talked about, there's just a lot of good players, you know, that forced out guys like Romain Gall and Junior Flores and Christian Roldan. So, uh, you know, it'd be a great thing to see him playing just because it can be kind of exciting and American soccer fans can get carried away yet again, right? Uh, of course, of course, it's what we do. It's what we do. That's best. what we're here for, too. Yeah, you know, and we that's overhype everyone. And right? that's why Travis uh, Travis M. Clark is there on Twitter to pull you back, be cynical and <laughs> and realistic. That's what you are. You're a realist, Travis. You're not a cynic. You're a realist. I think that's okay. I try to balance a bit. I know I get too cynical sometimes. Hey, so. It's easy. Hey, when you're doing this every day and you see some of this stuff, I think it's pretty easy. But it's it's a sport. It's fun. You get to do it for a living. A lot of people would trade with you, Travis Clark. From Top Door Soccer on the USU 20 team. It's going to be a fascinating tournament down in New Zealand, partly because all of us are going to have to try to catch up because there's no way I'm, I'm up at three o'clock in the morning. Travis, are you committing to that? Uh, no comment. <laughs> Travis, I'll try to watch, I'll try to watch the replays, but yeah. I think I should incur- take a moment to encourage everyone to go to New Zealand because it's an amazing country. I've been I, there. I would love to do that. That's not going to happen this time around. Thanks for the time, Travis. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines. We'll talk to you about the U-20s, about the uh, about the MLS weekend, uh, Premier League, whatever's on your mind. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. To soccer morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go on a Friday. Phone lines wide open. 646-832-3909. I let that song go a little bit longer today. Just love that song. Modest Mouse is back. Trevor, Trevor, Trevor is so excited. Modest Mouse is making music. All right. We are here. We're taking your phone calls on whatever it is that's on your mind, whether it's U-20s. We covered that. Yesterday, the roster came out. It's been sort of debated around. But it is it is free-for-all Friday, so it doesn't matter. You want to talk about the Red Bulls hosting NYCFC on Sunday? How many people are going to be in the stadium? I don't want to make attendance jokes. I'm sure there'll be plenty of people there. But how good is that crowd going to be? I would like to see a lot of people in Red Bull Arena. I saw a little bit of a interview with Grant Wall and uh, Bradley Wright Phillips yesterday on Fox Sports. Uh, Fox Sports One. What's it called? America's pregame. America's pregame. Everybody, get your hot dogs and cold beer and tailgate for the pregame. Or something. Grant Wall interviewing Bradley Wright Phillips, and one of the things he asked about was this rivalry, which has not yet started, but gets its first breath of life on Sunday. And Bradley Wright Phillips said all the right things, all the things you want a player to say when he's on one side of what is supposed to be a rivalry. He said, I want to hate them. I want to beat them. I don't want to give them anything. We need a game here that's exciting, that gets the fans energized. I don't think he used the word energized. I don't think so. It's my word. I'm paraphrasing. 
But clearly he saw it as important to sort of set the stage. And hopefully that's what we're going to get, a, a, set, a set stage that didn't then delivers on Sunday. I wish he could stick around for that game in New York. Did you know I'll be in New York tonight to watch some MLS with you at the Football Factory if you live in New York or in the close areas? Really, wh- this is what I need to decide. And, and my New York geography is rudimentary. I know a little bit, but I know a lot. If, you're, if you live in any of the five boroughs, you have no excuse. You should be in Manhattan to go to the football factory and hang out. Where else? Like, if you live in Connecticut, like, if you live um, in southern Connecticut, you should definitely be there, right? If you live in Jersey, if you live in northern Jersey, you should definitely be there. Like, you have no excuse. Obviously, if you live upstate, you, yeah, you don't have a little bit upstate, you have no excuse. You can make it down. If I'm going to drive... Five hours. I have no idea what traffic's going to do to me, by the way. I have no idea. I feel like I should periscope my entire trip. That's a thing. Yeah, if you live on Long Island, you have no excuse. Catch a train, get into the city, come hang out. We'll be there from 7 to... Whatever time people leave. That's when we'll be done. So hang out with us. It's the Sirius XMFC launch party. It's a party... It's a launch party. It's not going to be a dance party, probably. I don't think there's going to be much dancing, but there it will be a it will be fun. Mike says take the train. I would, Mike, except here's the problem with taking the train for me personally. Me. It's going taking the train requires me to go to get to take an extra hour to get into DC to get on the train. Then it's the four hours, whatever it is. To take the train up. Then I'm, I am a slave to the train sca- schedule coming back. And then, and so all of this starts costing a lot of money. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. The train is not cheap. Even the most, even, even a coach ticket on Amtrak to get to New York is going to run me 200, 250 bucks at this point. Round trip. And I've done that before. I actually took the train. Maybe this is one of the stories I'll tell uh, tonight in New York. Took the train up last summer for a business meeting, a meeting about this show. And I did that all in one day because I had other things I had to do. So I went up in the morning and came back in the evening, which is, that's a hell of a thing to do. Yeah, I wasn't just a little tired. I, I was I was wiped. 646-832-3909. I expect to be wiped tonight. But that's okay, because I'll be energized by... That's the second time in this segment I've used the word energized. I'll be energized by all of the people. All of the people coming out to hang out. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Do not miss it. Do not. Make sure you're there. Hopefully the games will be good, too. I expect Orlando, New York... I'm sorry, Orlando, New England to be pretty decent. And there's always a good... There's always a chance that the other game could deliver San Jose and Colorado. It's always Colorado and San Jose, excuse me, at Dick Sporting Goods Arena. Arena? Park. Park. Dick Sporting Goods Park. It is up on Twitter, at Soccer Morning, if you're not able to get to the phone. Tell me what you're going to be watching this weekend, what you're interested in seeing, what you expect. I mean, there's a full slate of of MLS, obviously Premier League. Orlando, New England, Colorado, San Jose, Chicago, RSL tomorrow, Montreal, Portland tomorrow, 
Montreal attempting to become attempting to get back on track in the league. Look at the standings. Because of the Champions League, Montreal has played four matches. Four. Everybody else has played at least eight. No, at least seven. Excuse me. Chicago and Toronto have both played seven. Everybody else has played at least seven matches. The Montreal Impact have played four. They're at the foot of the table in the Eastern Conference with two points. And now they got to try to take all of what they did in the Champions League, reconfigure it somehow, and start getting results in MLS. And they're hosting Portland. And I know Diego Valeri has been on the periphery of things. Will Johnson has been on the periphery of things trying to get back from injury. It's difficult to judge these teams. I actually wrote something uh, for USsoccerplayers.com that's going to come out today. It talks about this phenomenon that we have where so many teams are sort of just waiting around, biding their time, trying to tread water until they get players back or into their team that they expect this either this summer or in the near future. So for Portland, it's all about Diego Valeri and to a lesser extent, Will Johnson. It's about Diego Valeri because of goal scoring, but Will Johnson's important, don't get me wrong. Then you have teams like New York City FC biding their time, waiting around for Frank Lampard to show up, possibly another DP if they spend on that. David Villa hurt, that's a different thing. Not a long-term injury, just whether or not he's healthy enough to play. In L.A., you have the same thing. Steven Gerrard's going to come this summer, going to change that team, going to change the way that they play, provided he stays healthy, everybody has to stay healthy. They don't have Robbie Keane. They are a different team without Robbie Keane. Portland, New York, L.A., RSL we covered this on the on the Sirius XM show yesterday. RSL waiting around for Joao Plata to get healthy. If he gets healthy, they are a different team. They can go back to trying out that 4-3-3 that Jeff Kassar was so committed to to start the season. And I know that Chris Camrani from the Salt Lake Tribune said that Kassar does not identify what they've been what they did this weekend against LA as um as a as a four four two diamond, like the old diamond, but it's close enough for government work, and it's definitely a departure from the four three three. Six four six eight three two three nine zero nine. Don't be lazy. I know it's Friday. Don't be lazy. Get in. Let's talk about this. I don't even know. Let's talk about whatever's whatever's going on. Let me look at my headlines again, because obviously there's a couple of things popping. There's a couple of things happening in the world of soccer that uh, that we can talk about. Eddie Johnson's retirement, his pending retirement. Eddie Johnson, a polarizing figure in American soccer, maybe, possibly, perhaps. Uh, you feel bad for the guy when he's got a heart condition and simply can't play. This isn't Eddie Johnson. Not putting in the effort. This isn't Eddie Johnson not wanting to play hard enough in a non-contract year. This is Eddie Johnson sidelined by a serious health condition. And that makes me sad. Eddie Johnson not being in MLS makes me sad. I don't know if we can sum up his career. I mean, it would take... Might take a book 
to sum up Eddie Johnson. Started with FC Dallas. He was a very young player. I think he was 17 years old when he broke into MLS. Five years at FC Dallas. Goes on to, uh, to the Kansas City Wizards. Scores a bunch of goals. Becomes a bit of a sensation. Remember, he played in that 2007 Copa America team that Bob Bradley took down to Venezuela, I think. Team did poorly. That was definitely not a first-choice team. But he got he made a bit of a name for himself there. He pushes his way out of MLS. He wants to go to Europe. He gets the transfer to Fulham. And then, well, it could never stick. Barely played for Fulham. Goes on loan to Preston North End, Aries in Greece. I'm missing, I'm missing at least one or two other teams. Then he comes back to North America, but not MLS at first. The thought was he was going to go play for Juan Carlos Osorio at Puebla in Mexico. But then things got all crazy, and they said he wasn't fit. Osorio left the club, and it became this he said, she said situation. He said, he said, he, whatever. And he didn't get a, a job in Mexico. Then he does come back to MLS, and he joins the Seattle Sounders, and he starts scoring goals. And we all, we all remember how, when Eddie Johnson was good, how good Eddie Johnson really was. He really was great. Then Klinsman calls him up. He helps the United States win some difficult games in CONCACAF. Mike in Cincinnati, what's up? Hey, man. How's it going? How's your Friday? Ah, my Friday. Yeah, it's going to be busy, but it's good so far. <laughs> so listen, yeah, I mean, I know coming from a Sporting KC perspective, Eddie Johnson's legacy is kind of complex. Uh, you know, he did so much around 2007, kind of that phenom coming in. But, uh, you know, he became kind of a big rival there. Uh, I remember, I mean, my, my strongest memory, of course, is him in the uh, 2012 U.S. Open Cup final. Yeah, blowing it over the uh, bar. He takes the, he, he takes the final penalty kick and, and shoots it over the bar. And, and uh, pretty much ever since then, um, anytime somebody's shooting towards the cauldron and shoots it over the bar, they, they start chanting Eddie Johnson, yeah. regardless of who the, who the opponent is. You know, he's, he's a polarizing figure. Um, but... Uh, but an, you know, an incredible. Look. I, I'm sad. I'm sad to see him. I'm sad to see him leave this way. You know. Yeah, I, I think that. I, I think that is disappointing, Mike. And look, whatever you want to say about Eddie Johnson, he was an incredibly talented player. And maybe we feel disappointed that he didn't capture all of that talent and bring it all to bear on American soccer. But maybe we just take it for what it is. This was who he was. He got in trouble off the field a little bit. He put his name. He put himself out there in, in the public eye and got some heat for it. He, uh, you know, obviously he, you know, had a reputation for not giving his all. And in, in, after he got paid, and all of these things just make him interesting. I mean, you can make value judgments mm-hmm. if you want to. You can you can say I hate Eddie Johnson or I don't. I love Eddie Johnson for being who he is. I don't. I don't think that's even the point. The point is that he was. Interesting. He brought a little bit of flair to American soccer that we just don't get enough of. Yeah, right. yeah. He's he's in that he's in that kind of run. So I, I wanted to give you you know kind of a ridiculous thing for the day. Um, and for me, after watching Wednesday, watching RSL play and, and watching both those goalkeepers play, I think it's ridiculous looking at Nick Romando and realizing he does not have. One MLS Goalkeeper of the Year award. I think you mentioned this earlier. This I week. did. I, I think it's, that, yeah. I think it's the biggest oversight in MLS from from a personal player perspective. I just want your thoughts. Is there? I mean, 
in the same kind of vein of, of Landon Donovan being the you know, name, basically the Landon Donovan MVP award. Do you think there should be a push to name it the Nick Romando Goalkeeper of the Year award just to just to kind of make up for this oversight? He's got to again. He's got to win it at least once. He's got to win it at least once, Mike. Thanks for the call. He's got to win it at least once before we can give the award the Nick the Nick Romando name. I can't. You can't. I mean, the thing about Donovan is at least he won some MVPs. It may not have been his his trophy consistently. It's not like he racked up five of them. But he won a couple of times, and that gave him some claim and the league, the league, some reason to slap his name on the trophy. I, I love Nick Romando. Tre- Trevor says you get, you create a new trophy, the Nick Romando trophy, the Nick Romando award, and it goes to the best goalkeeper under six feet. So it's him and John Bush, right? <laughs> That's essentially what it is. Uh, Robert in LA, what's up? Hey, good morning, Jason. Happy Friday. Good morning, my friend. Hey, I want to, um, uh, I remember I, call, uh, I called yesterday and asking about, and we are talking about uh, commentators. Yes. Yes, and I want to, I was thinking about what you said. I just want to, when you said how the, you know, the Spanish speaking, they go all flare, and then, like, you know, how English go a little, like, dry. Yes. And I feel, I don't know if it's me or everyone, but I think that we we we, we prefer a combination of both, kind of like what Phil Shea or John Strong do, but we also want someone that, when we when they speak, they know what they're talking about. It's also like, uh, and they also give like you know the the plot and then the subplot was going on. Okay. If I give you an example, um, when Barcelona was playing against Bayern Munich and then like you know Neymar scores that third goal and then like you know Martin was saying about that Bayern's chase for an away goal has cost them, as opposed to like you know the fan commentators will just scream goal for thirty seconds, and I feel that's they're giving the plot, also the subplot, you know, context. Yeah, that's important. I, I, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, I, I do. I get what you're saying. You want, you want the commentator to remind you of something you might not be thinking of in that moment. Now, I don't want my commentator to take away from the, from the excitement of that moment, of the goal. I mean, they happen so rarely that, unless you, yes. unless you do root for Barcelona, they happen so rarely that you do need, you know, I don't, I, I don't need over the top. I don't need goal for 30 seconds. I don't need ululations or whatever that stuff is. I, I don't need all of that. I want a strong goal call, a recognition of it. Uh, I want the, I want the analyst. I want the co-commentator to, to put some, to give some insight into how it happened. And then, yeah, I, I guess I do want that context. I think you're right. I, 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 I think Shane and, and John Strong are, Maybe the gold standard of this, uh, of a certain generation. I mean, I, JP Della Camera obviously came first and I, I like JP Della Camera a lot. I don't know that he has pushed into, uh, when it comes to goal calls and, and excitement. I'm not sure he pushes it as, as far as, as strong and, and Shane do, but, but they all, they all, they all scream authority to me. They all know what they're talking about. That's for me, Robert. That's the bottom line. Just know what you're talking about. Give me a sense of, of gravity. Give me a sense of that moment. P- produce some drama. Give me some drama. Yes, that's why I'm, uh, I, I agree with what you're saying. And I feel that's why a lot of um, uh, uh, American soccer fans rejected, like, you know, the whole Gus Johnson experiment because, like, he was being shoved down our throats. And we all saw that it just didn't work for him. And I, we felt, I felt bad for him. But, like, I do agree with that, like, with uh, John Strong and, you know, 
Joe Shane and other commentators, just some, uh, we don't want someone that knows what they're talking about as opposed to, like, you know, reading, reading things off a piece of paper. Yeah, that that's an element. We, the, the part, the problem with, thanks for the call, Robert, much ago. The problem with Gus Johnson wasn't just that he read things off a piece of paper. For me, and I think I talked about this when he was in the job, when he was calling the Gold Cup, when some of those things were going on. For me, the issue with Gus Johnson was that he didn't have a sense of timing, a sense of soccer timing, that his brain processed everything a week, a, a beat late a beat more than that sometimes, a beat later than he needed to in order to give us the right kind of call. I don't think he was always a disaster. I think he did improve towards the end. I don't know that he would have gotten to the point where we would have fully accepted him. I don't. I, I get the sense that he probably would not have been fully accepted, no matter how much soccer he watched, just came to it too late. I think that there's a couple of things that work with Gus Johnson. One, he really didn't know the game very well, and he had to learn it. And two, soccer fans aren't going to be understanding enough to let a guy learn it. We're hard enough on fellow fans when it comes to whether or not you're new and you know everything and you've been around and, uh, oh, you you just discovered soccer? Where have you been? Oh, you're an Arsenal fan now. Okay. Tell me about, you know, tell me about the, the old Arsenal teams. I mean, that stuff is ridiculous. So, of course, we're going to be harder on a commentator who is the guy that is supposed to boil down what's happening on the field and give it, give us, again, that sense of drama. This is why commentatorless games don't work. Because unless you're in the stadium, you can't feel the crowd. You can't feel the tension. You can't pick out what's happening before it happens. You're, you're dependent on the director picking the camera angles, and you're dependent on the commentator setting the stage and giving you those moments and filling out the emotion of the moment. Gus Johnson didn't do it well enough with that. There are guys that do, and there are there are individual styles. I don't need I don't need English language commentators acting Spanish, but you know, there's gotta be American for an American audience, there's gotta be some sort of balance. Six four six eight three two three nine zero nine. We can talk about commentators some more if we want. Jose says, uh, do you think we will ever see the Cosmos joining MLS? Uh, my answer to that is no until something changes dramatically. No. I think the Cosmos had a town hall about their uh, Belmont Park, Elmont uh, stadium construction idea yesterday. Queens, Long Island types, big wigs, politicians backing the deal or backing the plan. Uh no, at one point, uh, NYCFC, or sorry, Cosmos, the Cosmos were asked about a ground share with NYCFC, and they said no, that has never been considered, never, never an option, uh, never an option they, they considered. So you could put that, any, any sense of that happening to rest. Although, I mean, even if that happened, like, okay, let's say, I, I get, okay, it'd be better than Yankee Stadium. But I would still think that NYCFC would be looking for their own digs at some point, even if they went and shared a stadium built by the Cosmos for the Cosmos. But that timeline, and they're three years in waiting for the for the Empire State uh, Development Commission or whatever the hell it's called to make a decision. They're three years in waiting on that. Then if they did get approval to build the stadium, it would take a couple of years to get that done with the plans that they have. If you've seen those those renderings, woo. That's not a that's not a year project. It's more than that. 
So by that point, we're talking about whether or not NYCFC has been in Yankee Stadium too long. So I don't even know. I mean, I would hope that they would have found something else before then. Got a big Sirius XM FC soccer morning coming up for you at 11 o'clock. If you are a subscriber, should be a good one. John Strong, the aforementioned John Strong from Fox Sports, will join us to talk about the game he's calling this weekend at Red Bull Arena, Red Bull New York City FC. Maybe talk a little MLS preview around the league, his, ta- his take on what's happening in MLS at the moment. Pablo Maurer from Open Wide for some soccer. Let me, I got these out of order. John Strong, Andres Cantor from Telemundo, from Football de Primera. He'll join us at 12 o'clock. Talk through some issues with USA and Mexico. Things I got on my list here. Copa America this year. Copa America next year. Andres is is an amazing guy to talk to. A font of knowledge. An absolute legend. I look forward to that. And then Pablo Maurer from Open Wide for some soccer will close out the show in terms of guests with a little chatter about some MLS storylines. Ray Zimboli is back. The SAP button. What Robert was calling about the SAP button on your television on Friday nights. We'll talk about that a little bit. We'll have a little fun. And like I said, I know it's, I know some people see it as wacky as over the top. I'd like it. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying it's the best commentary I've ever heard, but I like that we're talking about it. I like that it adds something to the games. It's, it's, I don't know. Maybe it's a little, um, a little stunty. You know what I mean? In terms of like, you know, eh, maybe it's a little minor league in the sense that this is, if that's how you're getting people to watch, then that's not really selling your product well enough. But I dig it. I don't care. And I would never disrespect Paul Caligiuri. How would you ever do that? I, I know it's mostly the other guy. But Paul Caligiuri, come on. He's on that broadcast. Don't disrespect, disrespect that man. He scored the goal that put the United States in the modern era of soccer. All right. 646-832-3909. Just a couple minutes left here. If you want to jump in on the web show on a Friday. MLS coming up. Premier League. Chelsea and Liverpool. What kind of team is Mourinho going to put out? Mm. I don't think it's going to be a great team. Steven Gerrard's probably going to start from what I read. And it will be his swan song for Liverpool. One of the last ones, anyway. As he walks out, leaves for L.A. Steven Gerrard, not only because he's been a one-club guy, not only because of that, but because he's Steven Gerrard and he is from Liverpool, I I just don't picture the man in L.A. Like, I I can't imagine him, like, just hanging out, like, going to eat now fresco, wearing sunglasses, you know, driving through the hills of Los Angeles. I just can't, I can't picture it. <laughs> I think we need a documentary crew on Steven Gerrard when he arrives in Los Angeles just to see that experience. Just to see how people react when they, when he talks to them. I don't think a lot of Scouser accents in LA. I'm sure there's some, but I don't think there's a lot. That would be a fascinating documentary. Steven Gerrard lands in LA even more than anything on Beckham. Who cares? We all know Beckham. We knew Beckham back in 2007. We knew who he was. We knew what he's about. Tattoos, pop star wife, kids, and marketing empire. 
best friend who starts pop shows, pop competition shows. We knew everything about David Beckham already. I'm not sure we know a whole lot about Steven Gerrard, other than that he played for Liverpool his entire career, scored some great goals, and then he likes Phil Collins. I think that's all we know. I mean, that's all I know. If you have fuller, if you have fuller details on the life of Steven Gerrard, that's great. But the man's not selling cologne and underwear. We got one more call coming in. I don't want to go off the air until I get to everybody. Six six four six eight three two three nine zero nine. Probably shouldn't give it out. I think we might have one more call. I'm waiting for this to to come through here. See what's on uh, on this last person's mind before we tie this up. Put a nice little bow on it tonight in New York. Football Factory, East 33rd Street, 30, yeah, West 33rd, sorry. Let's go to Salt Lake City, last call of the day, who's this? Hi, this is Landon. Hey, Landon, I've never actually met, a, I've never actually known another person named Landon, so that's awesome. Oh, great, yeah, and I never heard anyone calling from Salt Lake either, too, so I thought I'd just call in and weigh in a little bit, especially okay. when you're talking about Nick Romando. All right, you got some comments on Nicky, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so I tuned in, I heard you talking about him, and I just have a question for you. So obviously, you know, I'm, an, I'm an RSL fan, I'm a bit biased, um, and I've, you know, I've been an RSL fan for three years now, but, but what is your opinion on why Nick isn't getting goalkeeper of the year? Because every year after year, I see him doing amazing out there, and he's the one you know, that Clemson's got up there, doing the friendlies and starting when, when Tim and, and Guzan aren't, aren't out there. But uh, and Bill Jimmy had a great year last year, don't get me wrong, but what is it that isn't pushing Nick over the top? It's a good question. Uh, I don't know that I could tell you. I, I mean, look at the year. Okay, so Nick Romano's been in this league for a very long time. And I think that more often than not, what happens is there's just somebody else who's a little bit a little bit better. Or over the entirety of the year. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, look, I'd have to go back and look at Nick's stats in, the, in, in some of these years. I mean, the last two years he's been runner-up. So he came really close to beating Ricketts and Hamid. He lost. Uh, he 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 lost out. He was fourth in 2012. He was fourth in 2011. Before that, they didn't really do second, third, fourth. So I don't know. But Ricketts in 2010, Zach Thornton in 2009, John Bush in 2008, Guzan 07. So, so I'm just, so is it because RSL is a small market team that they just don't get the coverage? Because, I mean, to me, it's on DC. It's just a huge team, right? And Rick is in Portland, but, but still, you know, everyone talks about Portland. So is it the fact that, I mean, that's in something in general, I see that RSL is a great team for what they are, but we're in Salt Lake. No one cares about Utah. We all know that. <laughs> um, so is it because we, we don't have the coverage? Um, that's. I think that's possible. Um. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you, if you guys want to have a, a a persecution complex, I don't. I couldn't really blame you on that. <laughs> no, that's not a persecution complex. I mean, it's just. I mean, I'm I'm not a native from Utah, right? So you know, before coming here, no, no one knows about this place. It is a small market. You know, we we pack the stands every week, but you don't hear about it, and that's fine. We know we're not in LA or Seattle, but still, I get. I you know, I feel bad for the guy. The guy is just performing week after week. Obviously, you know, this lets us. Go on Wednesday. The, the CK was amazing, and he does that consistently. No one else in the league really performs like him, and year after year, he's completely consistent. I just, 
know, I felt bad to see him being left out over and over. I know last year when he didn't win it, there was a huge, you know, on, on Twitter, huge fallout with people saying, why didn't you get it? Because people were just getting dumbfounded that he's not getting this award. No, I, I, I'm sort of with you. I mean, I, again, I need to, I would need to go back. Thanks for the call, Andy. You got, I don't know where you are, but it's like, a, I don't know. I can't handle that. Um, I, it, it, I'd have to go back and look at, at Romano's individual statistics, look at him over the course of the full year. I think I voted for Romano last year. I mean, I don't want to say that for certain, but I think I did. I, it's, it is it is an interesting question. Let's go to Matt in Chicago. What's up, Matt? Matt, are you there? Yep. What's going on? Hey, so I was wondering, what happens if Gerard shows up this summer in L.A., excuse me, and then doesn't have the great year like we've seen a lot of new arrivals uh, suffer through, and then next year he's a year older, Robbie Kane's a year older, um, what's going on with L.A. if things don't really work out? Well, I, I think that they would be able to sort of reconfigure themselves and get back on track if they do run into those those issues. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's possible. I mean, I think it's possible that Gerard could struggle in LA this season. And then, you know, as you said, Robbie Keane's not exactly getting younger, but they got talent in that team. Zardis and Jameson, and they still have Janino, who's, who's, who's pretty young. You know, they do need to make sure that if Gerard doesn't work out, they have cover in the midfield, but I think they'll find somebody. I, I think they'll be fine in the end. I, I, in fact, if you look at that roster right now, they're, they're pretty stacked in, in a lot of ways. It's just that I think their issue right now in this se- this particular season and the start of this campaign is they just don't know how to play. They, they're still adjusting to life without Donovan. They haven't had Keane in the team. It's throwing everything out of whack. They don't know exactly how to play, and they're waiting on Gerard. So I think they'll be fine, Matt. All right, that's interesting. Right. Yeah, I just was thinking this seems to be – Bruce always figures it out, right? He does, but he does. It seems to be the most precarious they've been in terms of their veteran guys. Um, the young guys coming up are great. Like you said, there's tons yeah. of talent, but – the upper half of the roster seems to be the most kind of on edge it's been. They'll find. I, 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 thanks for the call. I appreciate. I mean, I, I, I appreciate what the Galaxy front office does year to year, and I think that they're competent enough to to go out. And even again, if their high their high price talent doesn't pan out or isn't performing, they'll find some some mid level guys to help them uh, compete. And they'll be in the playoffs. Guillermo, what's going on? Hey, good morning. Um, I just wanted to jump in real quick um, and. Uh, um, just point out that the world is changing, right? Uh, Scotland yesterday um, took the big, huge step towards independence, uh, which will eventually realign the soccer world. You know, follow me here, stay with me. Uh, they're going to gain independence in three years, and then they'll have uh, a really, really improved uh, premiership in Scotland, and uh, everybody will forget about England, and things will be different from here on forever. I have no idea. I'm gonna let, I have no idea what that means. How is that? How does that logic work? I mean, I don't have time to go to get into it with Guillermo, but I don't know how that logic works. John in Dallas, what's going on? Hey, Jason, do you have an opinion? I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, yeah. So I wanted to ask you a question about, uh, you know, you you said that we needed to respect Paul Calzieri, you know, as a commentator because of the player that he was. I, I, I do. I really have to. Res- do I really have to respect him as a commentator because I, of the player? He I, was? I, I'm. I, my tongue is in my cheek, John. I, I'm. I'm just yeah, saying. I'm, I'm, I'm just know, saying. I'm, as I'm a, giving you a hard time. As an American soccer fan, I will always have a debt to talk to Paul Calajuri. That's all I'm saying. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. And, I, and I'm with you. I, 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 I'm just giving you a hard time. But I, I just wanted to say that man i you know i'm really excited that that Univision de cortez is putting these games on friday night but 
but man, the, dude, the commentation, the commentators are just awful. And I don't, Paul Calagiri doesn't do a ton for me as a commentator. The other guy, I can't recall his name, but it's just, you know, he's mispronouncing names left yeah. and right. It was particularly annoying because I'm an FC Dallas guy and, you know, FC Dallas was on TV the other night. But it's just like, if you're not pronouncing, if you're not taking the time before the broadcast starts to get that right, it just feels like you're, uh, just, yeah. it just leads me to believe you're not taking it seriously. Uh, you know, I, I and, and it, I don't know. It just kind of rubs me the wrong way. It's just like nails on a chalkboard watching that, that broadcast. I can see that. I can see why a lot of people feel that way. Thanks for the call, John. I appreciate it. I got to move on. Let's uh, let's go to Tim in Brooklyn. What's up, Tim? Hey, man. How you doing? I'm good. Um, I'm hey, good. Do you ever get tired of the Cosmos question? When no, when no, look, no. I don't. I don't. I. I mean, you know, it can it can get it can get annoying when you've answered it a thousand times. And they, they get it more than I do, obviously. They get asked all the time. Uh, reporters are constantly asking the Cosmos, and they're kind of like, hey, did you not read the last time we said no? I think I think I, I, I don't get tired of it because they are the Cosmos and because I understand what kind of pull they have and what kind of profile they have and what kind of weight they can bring to American soccer. So I get it. I think that in a perfect world, soccer fans, especially those of us who maybe didn't live through the NASL era but respect and understand what that meant and what Pele and Canalia and Beckenbauer meant to, to soccer here in this country. I think in a perfect world, we all want the Cosmos in MLS because that's the top level. They're a big, they're the biggest name we have. The biggest name we have, period. There's no question. There's no arguing. You cannot possibly hold up any other club in the United States, in MLS or otherwise, and say they're as big as the Cosmos. They're just not. So I, I don't, that's yeah. why I don't get tired of it. Yeah, well, uh, that's cool. That's interesting. You you don't you don't sound like you uh you would you you sound like you're surprised by the answer, Tim. Uh, well, a little bit. I mean, I I know all of that. I mean, that's of course I know that, but <laughs> I, I was surprised to hear that a little bit. But well, we don't uh, we we get a chuckle out of it every time. But hey, uh, uh, New York talk, Coney Island. The Cosmos, it was amazing. That's Loved good. It. That's good. I mean, we I... need a, a, a team in Brooklyn. But, uh, that said, I want to leave everyone in, in New York with this, uh, this little point. Uh, uh, the first New York Derby, Derby, whatever you want to call it, was won by New York Cosmos last year. 3-0. <laughs> in the, in the US Have a good Open weekend. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it tonight, but if I can, I will. You bastard. All right. I I'll forgive you this time. Thanks for the call, Tim. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, the uh, the Red Bulls lost to the Cosmos in the U.S. Open Cup last year. Look, there could be permutation. You got a West London Derby, you got a North London Derby, you got a, a left London Derby. Yeah, there's a thousand London Derbies. Not a thousand, but close. So there can be more than one New York thing happening here. Permutations, people, permutations. All right, that's it for the web show. Join us over on Sirius XM FC 94 at 11 o'clock. We'll continue all of these wonderful discussions. Talk uh, expansion. I'm going to talk about expansion on Sirius XM today. Join us. Backhill.com slash store. Buy a mug. 3NLFC.com to buy a t-shirt. See you at the Football Factory tonight, New York. Later. <laughs>